The Keyboard Chronicles is proudly supported by Elk Electronic in Australia. Elk Electronic provides high quality service and repair of synthesizers and keyboards and also aims to encourage community interaction and learning through meetups and workshops. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or check out elkelectronic.com.au for more about us. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and it's great as always to be here with you. And I'm always particularly excited to be here with Mr. Paul Bindig. How are you, sir? I'm going great. Thanks, David. And I am as excited as you are to be here. Oh, it's a mutual love fest as always. Isn't it nice? Um, So this episode, we're excited to speak to Mr. Christopher Norton or Chris Norton, uh, who has had an amazing career. And I think it's fair to say, Paul, I was thinking before uh, when I was doing the prep for this show, I can't think of a much more stressful two gigs than what Chris has done. As you'll hear, he's been a musical director slash um, band leader slash keyboard player in Cirque du Soleil show and has also played keyboards for Dweezil Zappa and the Zappa Plays Zappa band. I cannot think of two more stressful things. Oh, I totally agree. Um, the the sheer level of musicianship you you would need to to play that music blows my mind. But then also the the level of organisational skill around making sure you've got everything set up correctly for the multiple complexity involved with that music. So he, he clearly is a heavy hitter. He is, and so um, as you'll hear, we we talked to Chris about both those projects and a lot more. So hope you enjoy this one. Chris, thank you for joining us from Nashville on a Friday night. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, it's it's funny. We're just talking before the show. Um, you, you're literally three days off uh, moving to Australia. So I promise we didn't plan that in our never-ending quest to promote Australians. <laughs> but um, yeah, you're, you're moving down here. So it's sort of a timely chat. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I actually, um, just tomorrow, I had to put off uh, kind of disassembling my studio uh, till tomorrow so we could make this happen. Oh, wow. Thank so you I for doing tomorrow, that. Tomorrow we can and, get all, all down. Yeah. And a hell of a background. Really appreciate it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll jump in. And so tell us a bit about Chris and the musician. What what's what sort of uh, started you out in music? Not that many years ago compared to Paul and myself. Uh, you know, what, what got you started? Uh, well, my uh, my grandmother played piano. Uh, there's a couple musicians in my family, but my grandmother played piano. Um, you know, anytime I would go over to her house when I was starting from a relatively young age, five or six, I'd always kind of tinker on her piano a little bit. Um, there was actually one time I remember uh, I would like to sort of write little little ditties on the piano, and I would get all of my family in. Um, and I didn't know the uh, didn't know any of the keys, didn't know what the the note names were. So I I remembered the starting point by counting from the bottom up uh the notes so I, I knew where to start um but that was my first interaction with uh piano and then after a little while my grandmother sort of took it upon herself to um give me a few lessons she showed me uh i remember it was an old red book by john thompson 
Um, and it had like, you know, just simple little, little songs in it. Uh, they would have you have your hands in just the root positions, uh, like in the key of C, C, D, E, F, G on uh, both hands. And uh, you'd kind of just read along and play. So the first time she did that, she showed me kind of how, got me started, showed me the notes, where to put my hands. And then um, she said, you know, practice the right hand. I'm going to go, go away, like, leave you to it. Uh, don't worry about the left hand. Uh, we'll we'll work on that later. And she went off and did some chores and came back a half hour later and I was playing with both hands. Um, so we did that for a little while and she, you know, we decided that maybe we'll, she kind of taught me everything that she, she could. And uh, we uh, signed up for proper lessons. Did that for, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. Um, I took, uh, so I started taking proper lessons from this guy in my hometown. That's uh, Cookville. It's uh, right in between Nashville and Knoxville. Um, and took some lessons from this guy for a while and sort of bounced around a few different teachers. Uh, being from a small town, um, I didn't really have access to the kind of teaching that I was really looking for. Um, I found that I always was wanting to learn to improvise and sort of uh, be, be a little bit more creative, but the, the type of uh, teaching I was getting was more, you know, proper what's on the page. So it wasn't until high school I started playing uh, a little bit more contemporary stuff. My folks like to listen to Billy Joel and uh, some classic rock, primarily classic rock. Um, and Billy Joel was a big family favorite. So, um, I wanted to learn Piano Man when I was about 15. So I had no concept of really trying to figure it out myself. So I, I didn't, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be satisfied until I, I was playing exactly what he did. So, um, and especially the solo, um, the, the piano solo. So um, I looked up tons of books, uh, had my folks buy me several different books and I would flip through it and immediately get disappointed because I knew just from the first little bit, they didn't even have the intro, the first intro line in there. Um, and I would put it away and say, that's not the right one. And finally we found one where uh, they had the whole transcription, learned the song. And uh, the very first time I performed um, and sang was uh, at my grandparents, I think it was their 50th wedding anniversary. We were at this little dingy restaurant in Cookville and uh, they had a piano there and I learned, uh, I saw, saw videos of Billy playing, playing the song. So I got the, the harness for the, my, the, uh, the harmonica, learned the harmonica part and uh, played the whole song and sang it. And my parents were blown away because they'd actually never heard me sing before. Um, they, uh, they had no idea that I could sing at all. Um, so that was my very first like performance while I was singing. I did, you know, recitals and, and whatnot when I was growing up taking piano lessons. But you, did, you didn't um, start out. It sounds like the rest of your career, Chris, you didn't start out in any small way to actually do your first thing with playing piano, man, with harness. Uh, did you, you actually played the harmonica? I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sing. Yeah. That's, that's a decent debut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've always tried to, I, I, I take a lot of pride in kind of uh, my preparation and, and getting, getting parts right. Um, so, that you know, I guess, I guess, yeah, you're right. I started off with paying paying a lot of attention to details. 
And we've talked about with different guests before on the podcast, you mentioned that you, you couldn't quite get the lessons you wanted. But again, it seems to me that if you'd had uh, lots more of the formal lessons, it may have not got you to where you're able to do a, a bit of learning by year as well as reading, or ideally you would have had lessons that would really encourage that improvisation. But as you know, they don't tend to exist or they, they tend to exist more today, but they certainly didn't back then. Right. Yeah. The, uh, and it's certainly if, you know, I wouldn't be sitting where I am now if, uh, you know, the path that I took, uh, if I, if I, if I'd taken a different path. Um, yeah, so, but it, it was a little, it, it was frustrating for me at the time. And, um, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm glad to be able to sort of pay it back at this point. I'm teaching a few students right now and, um, I see a lot of myself in, uh, a few of them and, I'm happy to be able to sort of provide them what they're because I could tell he's looking for he's sort of stuck in a classical world and um, he's looking for sort of the other side of it. Um, on on and, that uh, subject, on that subject, Chris, because um, I think this is a really interesting point that you make up. I, I think most of us or many of us who, who play keyboards and, and I think uh, David and I wouldn't be an exception to this. You, you do get brought up with that very uh, dogmatic style of being taught, which which has its benefits because a lot of keyboard players are quite well versed in music theory and, and and this sort of thing. But but as you've said, that sometimes doesn't give people what they need if they're trying to explore how to improvise or you know how certain rock songs they like are structured. So if, if someone's getting a lesson with you, how do you how do you break that dogma and how do you approach it that might be different from the um, the John Thompson books and, and that sort of thing that were and and uh, the the music theory books. Well, I, I start off by encouraging a lot of listening. Um, one thing that I realized way too late was that I can take a piece of music or take a song rather and listen to it and just sit down at the piano and figure it out. Um, mm. Nobody actually, I, it, it, that sort of concept had never occurred to me. Um, yeah. I was able to, to develop my ears in other ways, but um, that was something I didn't really get confronted with until basically college um so in my lessons i i really really encourage listening a lot we do um transcribing we do ear training exercises um you know from simple just what is this interval to uh chord progression stuff and on to actually just sitting and listening and transcribing songs um which includes kind of my method for chart writing um and yeah, so uh, also getting into just improvising and, you know, trying to break it down to a point where it's not terrifying, because a lot of people, myself included, when I was younger, um, when you're when you're used to just reading notes off the page and learning stuff that's written um, strictly, the concept of improvising is terrifying. So um, I try to try to break it down to where it's a little bit easier and dig more digestible um, so they can, you know, be a little, be a lot more successful. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Great response. And I, I'm just wondering if you take, do zoom lessons, Chris, I might be interested. I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. We may, <laughs> yeah. have, we may have to talk. Actually my, my uh, I'm down to two students right now, but they, uh, both of them are, are in other parts of the country. One's in go. New Jersey, the other one's in Knoxville. There you go. No, nice. Um, and so how did, how did you go from that, Chris, to actually doing this as a pretty much full-time career? Um, 
Well, in 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 Tennessee, uh, there's a lot of. Well, I guess they're probably they probably have to exist everywhere. But um, I kind of discovered uh, talent shows. I love performing. Uh, there were school talent shows. Started with that, um, and that's that's where I actually sang and played for the first time uh, in front of like just me and the piano in front of a, a group of people, other than the performing for my grandparents. Um, so we. Uh, I started seeking out just little talent shows, little bits of thing, uh, ways to perform. Um, and I ended up, I, I was actually really kind of successful with them. I, I took Piano Man and, and played that. That was kind of my, my, my piece. Um, and I took that. And when I was 18 years old, I, I uh, played in this competition called, the, it's uh, the Mid-South Fair in Memphis. And they it's a pretty pretty big i mean for for tennessee it's a pretty big uh big deal they have people come in from uh all over the state and um i ended up taking first place uh for that competition and the grand prize was it was three thousand dollars and they flew me out to la to play for a bunch of producers um so it was great um and that kind of uh that kind of sort of gave my parents the con the confidence that, you know, I can sort of be okay in the industry, I guess. Um, so after that, I, uh, I looked into a few different options for, for college and, um, I settled on, I actually didn't go straight into music. Uh, I settled, I started out in college playing, uh, sorry, excuse me, um, as an engineering uh, major. Um, I had a fascination with roller coasters, so I wanted to build roller coasters. I uh, went into civil engineering at Tennessee Tech in Cookville. Um, that lasted about uh, maybe three weeks. <laughs> uh, once I got into general chemistry and uh, realized that that's what I was going to have to go through, uh, it wasn't. I decided it wasn't really my thing. So at that time, I was a music minor, and my classical it was a classical program and my my piano professor uh wonderful wonderful lady uh she offered me a full scholarship i was telling her about my 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 experience with the engineering program and uh, told her i was thinking of changing and she said i'll give you a full full scholarship uh if i change to music so i did that uh studied classical music for about a semester and a half and then I transferred to a different school in Nashville uh, to study more commercial stuff. Um, Great. I didn't really answer your question. No, did it? it did. I mean, it, it, I mean, you got a formal qualification in music yeah. and got, you know, a, a healthy dose of both classical and, and commercial stuff. So to me, that seems a fairly obvious, um, you know, road to to doing it full time. So, I mean, Chris, what we might do is, I, I've, it must be awful having your life broken down into segments, but let's break it down into three big segments. Um, obviously, your composition career, um, the Cirque du Soleil work you've done more recently, and then Zappa Play Zappa, if you don't mind. We can obviously explore different aspects uh, within those. So, sure. so let's start with uh, Cirque du Soleil. So I, I've, um, and Paul, I'm not sure if you have, I've seen two different Cirque du Soleil shows, uh, Draw Lion, and I can't remember what the other one was. Um, Axel, I checked out online, and it's a very different Cirque du Soleil show. So, but tell us about both the show, but also how you got to play a role and um, the challenging time you had with it because of COVID. 
in uh, 2011, I discovered a, a search that was was doing open an open call and open casting for uh, musicians. So that process was they um, they would send a packet to to you via email, and you'd learn the songs that they wanted. I think we had about a week to do it. From the time you got sent the material, you had a week to to submit it, uh, and it was some pretty challenging stuff. Um, and so I spent the whole week learning the stuff, submitted it in, and then they called me in for a live, uh, a live audition in, uh, I think it was in Santa Monica. And after that audition, they put me on the roster and I waited and waited and like one year went by, two years went by, uh, didn't hear anything really to the point where I was like, well, that was a fun thing that happened and I'll, you know, probably never hear from him again. That's fine. Um, and nine years later, I get this email while I'm sitting at a friend's house in Portugal. Um, and it's just kind of a really, uh, not frantic, but, um, they, they were, uh, they were in dire straits. They needed a, a band leader and keyboard player pretty soon because the one on the show, uh, was leaving. They needed to, uh, find a replacement. So I actually was able to audition um, for that at my friend's house. He happened to have a keyboard. He's not a, he's a, he was a drummer and uh, one of his friends played keyboards and he had a little studio there. So um, I was able to sort of put it together and record. I, um, this was right before a Zappa play Zappa uh, tour. So I had my little, my mobile computer rig with me. Um, so all the stars aligned and I was able to put together an audition for Cirque while I was at my friend's house. Um, did that and uh, kind of went through the process, sent it in, did a few interviews, and they uh, hired me on for it. Um, and then this was um, this was around uh, November of 2019. So I went straight from this uh, this friend's house to a tour in Europe with uh, with Zappa Zappa band, and they. Uh, they called me, so I was I was doing the interviews during during that that time, and um, right after the Zappa the Zappa tour in Europe, I flew back to Los Angeles, uh, repacked a bag, got on another plane, went straight to Montreal for integration, and ten days later, I was on stage, band leading and playing the show. Uh, it was one of the I, I by far and away the most stressful. Uh, time period of learning um, and cramming and preparing that I've ever done. Um, my very first uh, show that I sat in, I was actually supposed to be integrated a little bit slower, um, but the, the the former keyboard player was supposed to be there, uh, but he had to he had some things that he had to get back to. So, um, so I was left there. I had I band leaded the whole show, and um, it was five thousand people. Uh, at this arena in in Montreal, uh, pretty daunting, but I made it through it, and uh, no no major train wrecks. Um, and then we went on to do nine weeks after that. Uh, so that's how that got started. Um, and yeah, the 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 show had um, the music. Yeah, it's a lot is a lot different than uh, in the, in a lot of the other shows. Um, I hadn't actually seen. I don't think I'd actually seen any full shows before I saw Axel. 
That was my first one. And I mean, um, I, I, what I've said in the intro to this show, Chris, is I can't imagine two more stressful gigs than doing being a, a musical director or band leader for Cirque du Soleil and playing Zappa plays Zappa. But let's t- sticking on Cirque du Soleil, um, I'm assuming it's incredibly tightly choreographed as far as the, the musical cues uh, would uh, not vary terribly from night to night. And that, that poses its own challenges, yeah? It does. Um, there's a few different sections where we're allowed to sort of breathe. Um, the whole show is, was uh, programmed into Ableton. So I had, uh, to my right, I had two computers that were running simultaneously. Uh, just the main rig, A rig and then the backup B rig. Uh, that if there was anything that happened with the A rig, you'd, I'd reach over, hit a button, and it'd immediately switch over to the B computer. Um, so, yeah, everything was set to the grid. All, you know, we had click tracks. Um, and um, even, even if, if something was wrong with a band member and, like, you know, a guitar string breaks, uh, if I need to, I can pull up a, a slider to fill in, fill in that missing part. Um, so, but, but having said that, there were, there's several sections where, um, you know, in any given live show, especially a circus, circus show, anything go wrong and you need to need to stretch a little bit. So for those moments where there's a soloist, um, a soloist performer out on the, in our case, the ice, uh, there, you know, we have to leave them a little bit of room to stretch and uh, count for any kind of errors they might make that might take a little bit longer. So the show would run into a loop, a loop point. And then um, whenever I get a visual cue or the cue from the, um, um, from the, uh, the stage manager, um, then I would count the band in cue and we'd move on to the next section. Chris, that, that sort of thing is obviously very hard to uh, prepare for. Um, is that something that became more comfortable for you uh, uh, over time? Or, you know, you mentioned it was quite stressful, that first show, 5,000 people, the, uh, the bigger arena in, in Montreal. Um, you know, initially, I, I know these things are prepared and rehearsed very well, but that, those things like getting the right cues and the right visual cues and understanding that if a performer needs time, you need to, you know, spin things around for a while until you... Yeah, t- tell us about the process of, of learning that and then how that potentially, hopefully, becomes a bit easier over time for you. Uh, it, yes, it's, it's tremendously difficult. Um, it's, it's one of those things. Um, I actually didn't, um, I came into it and, uh, I was handed music, but it was a little bit out of date. So my preparation was prepare as many visual aids as I could. So I took all of the resources that they had. And by the point, um, the point of the show, when I got there, uh, the keyboard player and band leader, um, was doing a lot of different things than what was on yep. the music uh, that I was handed. Um, it just that the scores hadn't been quite updated yet. So I, my preparation was to make sure my notes were in order um, and that I was able to follow it. I, there were se- uh, several songs that I didn't even play for the first time until really I sat. Um, and especially on the gear that was on stage. I was able to borrow a keyboard and take it to my hotel room to practice. Um, but I didn't play on these, the, the, the rig on stage until my very yeah. first gig. Um, and another another um, fun story from that is um, right before I went on stage, uh, let me back up, let me preface that with um, my first show, they were trying to find some ways to, to ease the pressure on me uh, so I wouldn't have to band lead the whole show. So they delegated a lot of stuff to the drummer that she was the backup band leader. 
Um, and she hadn't yet had to band lead any of the shows. So this was her first time doing some of this stuff too. Um, and the idea was I was just going to take care of playing, playing the keyboard parts and she was going to band lead the whole show. Yep. But they ran into some kind of uh, logistical issues with some of the sections where she just couldn't get to the trigger in time. Um, she couldn't count, play the drums, count it, and get to the trigger in yeah. time. Uh, the, the system just wasn't set up for that. Um, so right before we went on, I think it was just a few hours, uh, they called me in, the production team called me in, and um, sitting in with a musical director and the stage manager, and they said, you have to do the looping cues. You have to do, which essentially are the hardest ones in the yep. show. Um, they're the ones that if there's going to be a train wreck, they're going to be there. Yep. Um, so I said, okay. And uh, we went into sound check and sound checks are run really tight. The whole, like everyone runs through their acts. There's a lot of checks and balances with these shows. So we ran through all of the, um, all the songs. And then kind of at the end, they said, okay, let's do, uh, let's do the songs where we have these, the, the looping cues and you need like try out counting it in. Cause it always, you know, when you're rehearsing by yourself, it never feels the same when you're actually on stage. Uh, there's all these different variables that come into effect, uh, you know, nerves notwithstanding, just, just orienting yourself with what you need to do. Um, so we tried it out and it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't pull it off very well. Um, Cause you may not know with those, with those uh, rigs, they, you have a foot pedal that you have to step on and it turns your microphone, which is live to the house. It turns your microphone uh, into a talk back so you can talk to the band. Mm. Um, and there's another button where you can talk to the production team separately. Um, so my first, uh, first time counting the band in out of the queue uh, did not go well. And um, we had it set up actually. So the stage manager that day was busy doing something else, but he was able to sort of calm in from somewhere else, wherever he was in the building. Uh, so we could practice live him counting him saying, you know, uh, out of the loop go, which means I need to do it now. Yeah. Um, so we did that once didn't go well. And I asked for him to do it again. We were able to do it again, still didn't go well. And that was it. He had to go do something else. He was busy. Um, so I didn't, I didn't imbue a lot of confidence into the team uh, at that point. <clears throat> and then, so shortly after that, I had a meeting with the, uh, the stage manager and artistic director and the stage manager, uh, he's, he's from Brisbane and he, um, he tells it like it is. He's very direct uh, and honest and I, I respect him for it. He's great. He's a wonderful guy. Um, and he kind of, you know, he told me very directly that you, you really can't mess this up. Um, you have to be very careful because if you actually, if you hit the wrong cue, um, at the wrong time, yeah, yeah. you could kill somebody. Um, which is, which is a hell of a thing to say somebody right before <laughs> they walk out on stage yes. to play a show. Yes. Um, and he was right. You know, he's, it's not very likely yeah. Uh, but you know, he is right. There is that chance I hit the wrong key, you know, and it puts it into a blackout and the guy flying 50 feet yes, in the air can't yes, see his landing yes. sort of thing. Um, so first gig made it through and it was great. <laughs> uh, we all breathed a sigh of relief when we, when we got through it. Um, and really from there, from there on out it, uh, I remember your first question now, uh, from there on out, it got 
easier, yeah. but it was, uh, there, it was, it was terrifying. Um, and I love it like that. That's kind of, I love being in those situations where it's, it's high pressure and, um, and daunting and, and uh, I have all the, the control of all this stuff. It's, it's kind of a world I love living in. You know, Chris, that's a phenomenal story and, and thank you for sharing it. And, you know, a couple of things I took out of that one is, um, you know, you must be a one, one heck of a musician to be able to be thrown into that situation and handle it so well. And it probably teaches all of us, you know, you can get through these things with enough preparation and, um, and it's not always perfect the first time. Yeah, and the second thing is I think about, um, you know, when, when certain train wrecks may have happened uh, to me in certain musical situations. And one of the things I'm really fond of saying is, well, it's okay. No, you know, no one died, but you know, in your case, uh, that, that was actually an option. So that's even, that's even more amazing. So, uh, yeah. That's, um, that's brilliant. Yeah. Hey, from, yeah, I, go on, please. Sorry. No, sorry. Please. I, 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 um, I attribute a lot of that to, it, it's really just knowing, knowing what you need, um, when you have to sit down and play you know having a lot of experience with um getting into gigs with not a lot of time to prepare and knowing how to set your notes right um and, and get your materials and stay on track with it and kind of expect you know while while doing that be on your toes enough to um, account for any sort of unexpected things that might come up because they always do yeah, yeah. Oh, no, a, a, an amazing story. And, um, you know, we, we always ask our guests, what's a, a piece of advice you'd, you'd give to to other keyboard players? And I think already we've had a, a good piece there around preparation, knowing what you need to have ready and being prepared for, for if, if something does go wrong, how would I handle that? So moving from uh, one, what I think is a very challenging scenario to another is you spend some time, a good chunk of time is a big part of the Zappa plays, the Zappa band. Now for our listeners and viewers who might not be 100% familiar with that, that is a, it's a Frank Zappa tribute, but it's, it's more than that because it's, it's run by Frank Zappa's son, Dweezil. And Frank Zappa music, very technically challenging and while great to listen to, I think perhaps daunting to play. And, I, and so I'm really interested in how you found your way into that project, Chris, and uh, how you found it initially uh, playing that music as well. Um, well, I, 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 prefer, I prefer repertory ensemble. Uh, to, <laughs> but, yeah, good uh, term. I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I love it. <laughs> it's, 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 a little, it's a little more, uh, I don't know. I think it's a little more accurate. Um, calling it a repertory ensemble. Um, definitely do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. It is. It's a. It's a tribute act, and and Dweezil does a. a I'm. I'm very. We're all. We're all very proud with the work we we did with that band. Um, and so I um I graduated from college in 2009, and um I had very little knowledge of Frank Zappa up to that point. Um. Uh, to the point, I think uh, my first interaction with Zappa that I really remember was in the um, in my college's ensemble. I played in a, a rock ensemble at Belmont University, and the one of the songs that the uh, the uh, teacher brought brought to us was um, "Peaches on Regalia." Uh, so that was my kind of first interaction mm -hmm. with Frank. And I had, I think I had an opinion of him seeing sort of just little clips here and there and, you know, hearing that he's a weirdo. Um, <laughs> it took me by surprise because Peaches is a, a great song. 
uh, it's great musically and uh, really, really unexpected um, uh, from, for, for me. So that was my first interaction. Thought that was great. Uh, still didn't think much else about it. Uh, and then I, I started playing in a band with some, some guys who were really big Zappa fans. Um, we were listening to uh, Joe's Garage and other records driving to gigs, um, which was great. I thought, it, I thought they, they sounded good. Um, but again, it's, you know, driving in a car isn't the most conducive listening experience and, and sort of being in, introduced to, I think, somebody, something like Frank Zappa. You have to really sit and sort of engage with it. Um, so this went on for a little while and the, uh, it came around to, to December uh, and the drummer in the band for Hanukkah, he got the Zappa Play Zappa DVD. Um, and we all sat around one night and watched it and my it kind of turned my world upside down um it was a different experience to actually see it played live and really really well yep um so from from uh dweezil's perspective like his 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 goal of of introducing frank zappa music to a, a younger and wider audience it worked I, I was a a shining example of it um it worked for me so um it was not long after that that I did a little bit of research and discovered that their keyboard player that was on that DVD and their their original guy, uh, Aaron, he'd left the band. And on a whim, I got on Google and typed in Zappa Play Zappa Audition Keyboard Players. And it took me straight to Dweezil's website where it said Zappa Play Zappa 2 Audition Keyboard Players. Wow. Um, yeah, so it uh, at the time, he had a website set up to where... Um, and he was asking people to submit videos, um, which I think, you know, I won't say it's the first time this has ever happened, but it was right around the time where this sort of thing was able to happen. Um, I don't think you were getting, there weren't a lot of uh, video auditions for bands and you know, other jobs yeah, yeah. Uh, happening uh, really probably much, much before that. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of lucky to be at the forefront of, of, um, being able to submit stuff online. So uh, he had me learn, or for the, for, the, for the audition, he had, I think it was four songs. Um, one of them was Inca Rhodes. The, he wanted the intro to Eat That Question, Uncle Remus, and The Black Page. Yeah, right. Um, all of them... Particularly Inca Rhodes and the Black Page, very challenging stuff. And he gave me no material. You had to, we had to do, you, you know, because there really there isn't there isn't anything, um, which I came to find out later. Uh, but I was given no notes and just had the had the recordings um, and break it down, listen to it, and figure it out and learn it. So I made four videos for that, and um, as a bonus. Um, I was, um, really invested in getting this gig. Um, it just seemed like a, a lot of fun and honestly, just the audition process was great for me. Um, but I, I got online and, uh, looked up the two hardest songs they had played. He was in an interview, I saw an interview with and he said the two hardest songs that they'd ever played in that band were Inca Rhodes and a song called G-Spot Tornado. Um, and just a little back, back story on G-Spot Tornado for you guys if you don't 
you've never heard this, uh, Frank, it's on a record called Jazz from Hell. And uh, Frank made that record with the, uh, the Synclavier in the 80s. Um, I think it was 85 he put it out. Um, so at some point, you know, in the 80s, Frank was like, to hell with the, to hell with the bands. I'm going to do this thing by myself and make all this music that nobody in the world could ever play. Um, so the story was he, he made these songs impossible to play. Um, and it actually allowed him to hear very, like perf with perfect accuracy the things he heard in his head. Um, and just, just as a cross-reference, and Paul, please correct me if I've got this wrong, one of our previous guests, who I believe was Michael Whalen, is now in um, possession of those Synclaviers and talks about sort of getting them from Zappa's family. Am I right, Paul? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So it's, just, it's fascinating you brought that up, Chris, because, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a, 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 an iconic part of his career. Yeah, I was able to. I I, I don't. Uh, I didn't catch his name. I think, I think it's my, my, Michael Whalen. Yeah, Michael Whalen. Michael Whalen. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. The uh, when I first joined the band, skipping ahead a little bit here, but um, we were heard at Frank's studio in uh, in Laurel Canyon, um, and several times I would go over there, uh, just to hang out with uh, Joe Travers. Um, we'd listen to stuff, and uh, he pointed in just the room right next to him he said that's there's his synclavier right there uh so that was that was really really fun uh, but i guess yeah i'm not sure a lot of that stuff got auctioned off when uh when they got rid of the house um sorry so anyways um i'm just gonna have fun and make a video of me doing g-spot tornado so i took this song um which is heavily it's the whole thing sequenced so i just took i transcribed the whole drum part transcribed the whole bass line uh and all the um aux parts and the second line that's in the song and i uh sequenced it into pro tools um set it up to where uh set it up with pa uh, uh program changes um so i could just play the main line to the song um dressed up like an idiot and made this really silly video with my friend um and uh <laughs> so uh, then I submitted that on the website, and um, I don't know for sure if that kind of made up Dweezil's mind, but it, it you know it certainly helped. Uh, it didn't. It certainly didn't hurt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, and then after that, he once again he he called me in for a live audition. Went into the studio with the band, and uh, did the live thing. And a couple hours later, he called me and asked me if I wanted to. Wanted to ride around on a tour bus. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I think your point about dressing up like, a, like an idiot and maybe clowning around a bit on the, on the video, I imagine that would have gone down well. Um, having, having heard interviews with, with Frank saying that, you know, the, the business of performing a certain way on stage is very important to him. He, he took the, I guess, the sense of, of not taking yourself too seriously, very seriously. In, in his own performance ethos. And I imagine that's the same in, in Zappa Play Zappa as well. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Um, Dweezil always encouraged us to kind of kind of be be ourselves. Yeah. Uh, he never, we never had any kind of dress code. Um, anytime we had, he, he was really, he was, uh, he wanted us to be really honest and uh, reflective of the recordings. Um, yeah. But when it came time to improvising, uh, improvising sections we were uh, we just did whatever we wanted yeah. um and even we were allowed you know he he 
sometimes he'd raise an eyebrow at us, but um, we do some quirky stuff on stage uh, just to make it a little bit, a little bit more fun um, and do something a little, a little bit different. It sounds like a great environment um, to, to work in, uh, to be honest, Chris. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, if, if our research is right, I believe while you were in Zappa Play Zappa, uh, artists such as uh, Chick Corea and Rachel Flowers guested with you. Is, is that correct? And then what was that experience like? That's, yeah, that's right. So um, I joined in uh, 2010 and uh, for our 2011 tour, uh, we got, um, what was it? It was later on in the year. Uh, we got put on the bill with uh, Return to Forever. So they were coming back with, uh, they didn't have Al DiMiola. It was uh, Frank Gambale playing uh, guitar and they had John Luke Ponte playing violin on that tour. So we were on uh, <clears throat> the support slot for those guys uh, for about a month or six weeks or something. Um, and yeah, that was great. Um, I remember the first time I met Chick, I was, uh, I had actually just got, uh, got hooked up with the vintage vibe guys um, and got, had one of their pianos out for the uh, first time on, uh, on Zappa tour and um, had it backstage just playing on it in headphones. Um, and I, you know, sent somebody come up and stand next to me and I look up and there's chick um, sort of looking down and he's like, what is this thing? Uh, so he asked about it and we sat and chat about the, the piano for a little while told him where it came from and uh he sat and played on it said it was great and uh that kind of started our thing it was funny because uh <laughs> a lot of the pretty much the rest of the band um i was i was the youngest by i want to say nine years um i joined the band when i was 23 and the next oldest guy I think maybe he just turned 30 yeah, well. um maybe a little bit older um, so it was, it was funny cause the, the, the rest of the band kind of, they were very like, we're going to stay over here and let them do this thing. Not going to bother them. And I was just like, bring it on. I just went, you know, I, I would go and ask chick questions, uh, and he would invite me over to his rig to show me, show me what he was doing. Um, at that point he had just, uh, he'd started touring. He'd stopped touring with a grand piano, uh, and a Rhodes because of all the, you know, we have that stuff around, particularly yeah. Rhodes. Um, he he just made a had a sample library made uh, of his Rhodes and put into a motif. Um, so you had a motif, a Voyager, and a Yamaha digital Yamaha piano, uh, which felt it it was it was great. Um, and uh, yeah, so he would bring me over and and we'd talk about music and uh, he'd show me show me his, uh, his rig. Uh, and it was on that tour actually that I got my first Voyager, um, just from seeing him play on it. Um, cool. Yeah. And so uh, Chris, just, you mentioned the vintage vibe and we did have that as a question. So we might as well jump in there. Um, tell us about how you've become hooked on the vintage vibe. And just, I think most of our listeners will know the vintage vibe, but just explain a little bit about it and it's, um, Genesis. Yeah, I met uh, I met the guys. Uh, Chris Carroll um, is the owner of the company, and he works really closely with Fred DeLeon. Uh, I met them at NAMM in 2011. Um, saw their pianos played on them, and they were great. Um, 
I wasn't really even in the market for a Rhodes. Um, I guess in the, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind until I sat down and played on the piano. And then I, you know, talked to them, told them I was playing with, with Dweezil. Um, and they, yeah, they were, they were really excited to, to work with me. And, um, not too long after that, I ordered a piano and they sent it out. Uh, but they're great. They're, you know, if you don't know, they're just built just like a, like a Fender Rhodes inside. Uh, they look, I've been asked, uh, heard a lot of comments from people talking about my Wurlitzer. Um, so I have to correct them on that. So they make it, it, it looks kind of like a Wurlitzer, but it's got the guts of a, of a Rhodes. Um, and one of the, the first one that I got was built kind of more like a prototype. So they actually used a lot of original parts from the Rhodes or from an old Rhodes. And, um, they just found ways to trim it down, make it lighter, uh, more, more tour friendly and reliable. And they did a great job. Honestly, the, uh, the first piano I had, uh, I ran into a few tuning issues, mostly when it got cold. Um, and then I upgraded a few years later, uh, to another piano and then another piano after that, which is this one. Um, and I think I might have, I got this one in 2016. I think I've tuned one note once on it. Yeah, right. Um, and it, it holds up and plays and sounds great, uh, in ways about half amount, uh, half the amount of, uh, of a traditional roads. I think it's about 60 pounds. Um, so you can pull the thing out of the case yourself and set it up without breaking your back. Yeah, that's, that's a true win-win. No, no, thanks for talking to us about that. And so let's probably go to your wider rig, Chris. And I know it varies on whether it's composition or, or live stuff, but what do you go to boards at the moment? Uh, well, that, you know, that always depends on kind of what, what I got in, in ahead of me. Um, so oh, I, uh, just remembered you asked me about Rachel Flowers. Yeah, yeah, go, go for it. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Well, I'll I'll answer your question first. Um, yeah. So it always it always depends on on the gig. Um, I find myself nowadays since I got uh, a Nord Stage Three. That's probably my number one uh, keyboard that I will go to. Um, I actually I held on to my Nord Electro Three. For what year are we in? 14 years. Bought it in 2000, 2000, no, uh, 2009, 13 years. Um, hung on to that thing, was, didn't think I needed anything else. Um, mostly I just used it for, the, for organ and uh, clav. And then I actually borrowed a friend's Nord Stage 3 for a gig. And once I discovered kind of what it could do, uh, I'd, didn't take me long to get one and sell my electro three. Um, so that would be probably number one. Um, and, but depending on, you know, uh, if it's a, if it's a bigger thing where setup is, I have more time to set up and prepare. Um, I'll use, uh, I'll bring my computer rig with main stage and a controller. Um, what else do I have? Um, I haven't actually been able to gig with this thing yet, but I've got a profit rev two. um, so I would, I would bring that out for anything that's, you know, synth, synth heavy. Yeah. No, um, great. I mean, yeah, you've got all the bases covered there and, um, and I apologize. I sort of took us on a rig tangent and, um, I know you wanted to cover off Ra Rachel flowers as well. So tell us about what it was like working with her, uh, in the Zappa the play Zappa context. Yeah, it was great. Uh, right around that time she was recording or they were shooting a, a documentary, uh, about her. Um, she's just, she's, uh, 
she's phenomenal. She, uh, I, I didn't know anything about her. She, she kind of showed up. Dweezil, Dweezil talked about her and, and brought her in. And, uh, you know, right from the, for, for people who don't know, she's blind um, and she plays piano, guitar. I don't know if she plays drums, but she plays piano and guitar really well. Um, and uh, she came in, I think it was to a rehearsal and she was going to play Inca Rhodes. Um, uh, which I'm hesitating because I'm just remembering how I felt when, <laughs> when I got that, when that got that news that that's what she wanted to do. Uh, because Inca Rhodes for me was, um, you know, we talk about Cirque du Soleil. That was a circus act uh, for me on stage. Um, I had that, that song set up in main stage uh, with so many patch changes and uh, sounds like muting and unmuting sounds. I think I had three different patches in main stage for that, for that one song. Um, with real quick, like finish one line and the next note, the next like 16th note needs to be a different sound. Um, so uh, I was worried about how we were going to actually pull it off. Um, so we rehearsed a couple of times. She played with us in, in Las Vegas, I think for the first time. And we rehearsed and I, I had to sort of reconfigure what I was thinking about during that song and what, what parts I was going to cover. Cause there was some stuff she just wouldn't be able to. Um, so we just decided to have her focus on the two keyboards that were in the front, which was the Moog Voyager and the, uh, the vintage vibe piano. And I was going to stay on the right, which was the controllers, the Nord. Um, so I was able to, there was several times where I would have to like reach my foot uh, do a balancing act and reach my foot to like right at the and not get in her way because she's playing and just at the right time tap the pedal to change a patch or mute a sound. <laughs> um, but just uh, before that, before uh, we played the show at the sound check, she came in, um, felt around a little bit, got a feel, felt with her feet. I said, "Here's where my wah pedal is." Uh, usually on the on the solo on Inca Roads when uh, you go to the synth. Um, I usually turn that on because it's an extra fun thing to play with. Uh, it's right there. There's a phaser right here. Um, and I didn't want to overwhelm her, but that kind of gave her a few a few options just in case she wanted to. You know, thinking she'll probably not use it. Um, if somebody had showed, told me about that before uh, before the show, I'd be like, cool, that's great. And then I probably would just forget about it in the moment. Um, we get to the solo section in Inca Rhodes and... Uh, we start into it, and immediately I see her with her foot feeling for those pedals. She turned on the phaser for the for the for the vintage vibe, and she found the pedal, the wah pedal for the the uh, the Voyager, and just absolutely ripped it up. She was killer, uh, just a, an amazing amazing musician. And then after that, she uh, later on in the show we brought her back out, and uh, this time she had her guitar for um, Montana. And she played the guitar solo in Montana. And if you close your eyes, you would think it was Frank Zappa in the room. Just unbelievable. Wow, that's amazing. And all dental floss farmers worldwide would have loved watching that. Um, yeah, no, she's an amazing. She's on our bucket list of, of guests we'd love to have on. She's just an amazing musician. Oh, she'd be yeah. great. Um, and, and now, um, Chris, you, you've already passed on some really valuable lessons throughout the show, but we do have a standard question of what are the key lessons you'd pass on to other younger keyboard players coming up through the ranks um, that you wish you'd known yourself? I think, the, I mean, I think the most important thing is to just, 
have fun with it. Um, music, music is, is, you know, a lot of people make careers off of it and, um, it, it's, it can be easy to sort of, uh, feel like a job. Um, and you know, the old adage don't, is it an adage? Uh, don't turn what you love into a job. Mm. Find, um, have fun with it. And, uh, don't it, it's it's really it's at the end of the day it's not that important um you know it, it it's a lot of us are really fortunate to to make a living and, and play music and it's great um but at the end of the day um if you're not having fun then there's really no point so you got to find 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 the fun in it um and keep keep creating keep searching keep looking to get better um it's it's a really that's what i found uh to be one of the most important things in my journey yeah, fantastic yeah great great advice there chris can you tell us a bit about your work as a composer for film and tv um you know how did you get into that and uh, how active are you in that at the moment and how have you found that sure yeah in uh when i was at belmont uh I studied uh, commercial piano uh, with some music technology. Um, and in the music technology program, we did, um, there was a semester of uh, film scoring. Um, and that was kind of the, my first time cutting my teeth into that, learning how to um, timestamp and uh, set, set your tempos and, and find moods. We had a lot of really, really great exercises for that. Um, that sort of, I took that one semester of that and put it in my back pocket and, and held on to it because uh, I loved it. Uh, first time I put any kind of music to visual, it was it was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I kind of went off into live live performance for uh, uh, since then, ten years, twelve years, and uh, every now and then I'd try to find little pockets where I could uh, make my own. Um, make my own music, but I've mostly spent my career being, being in live performance. Um, but I've always loved writing. Um, and I've always, I've always got at least a couple of songs that I'm working on. Um, and, uh, more recently I've been able to, uh, I'm, I'm very fond of video games. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always had, had a love for, for video games of all kinds. Um, and recently, um, I've, felt a really strong drive to uh, get into that world of composing for, for that media. Um, and fortunately for me, um, I met a really wonderful woman who um, also shares the same passion for video games. Um, she doesn't play music, but she um, w went into school for uh, video game design. Right. She's currently studying right now. So, um, working together on both ideas and um uh sort of concepts for some games and um, i'm composing all the music for it One. so i've been able to get into uh doing that recently and it's great um we're actually one of our goal one of our things that we're going to do in adelaide is um we're talking about starting a studio that's uh for creative adventures doing uh video games uh animations any kind of videos um music and and the creation of the visual media as well brilliant, brilliant. yeah excellent 
No, that sounds great. Um, and Chris, we uh, another common question we ask is tagging keyboard players. So who would you like to hear um, a live story from that plays keyboards that you may not have heard before? Alive or dead is fine. Alive, preferable for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, who, who would you suggest? I, I, would, I would recommend, uh, there's a guy named Ty Bailey. He's, uh, he's from, from Seattle, has been all over the place. He played, uh, played with Katy Perry for a while. Uh, lives in Los Angeles, but now he lives in Nashville. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he's got a lot of great stories, and uh, I think um, I haven't even heard them all. So, uh, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, great pick. Thank you. We always love those suggestions, and um, I'll probably follow up with Todd. That'd be great. Um, so the uh, the next question that we uh, we love to uh, ask all our guests, Chris, is. What would be your five desert island discs? Uh, you're stuck on a desert island, five albums or pieces of music that you would have to take with you because they're essential. Love these kind of questions. Uh, <laughs> um, man, these are, it's so hard. I'm, I've never been one for favorites of anything. You ask my favorite color, I'll give you a palette. <laughs> um, and, you know, music is certainly so so chris we've had easier. someone pass before and we've also had someone rattle off a bunch of box sets so if either of them help you um <laughs> no, no no i i got i got you i'll I, I did i did my homework for this um so um i'm still going to give you a few extras uh because it's 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 hard um, we'll allow that and really it's like in all in, especially with music it's like it depends on the mood i'm in um, so I'm trying to, I, I tried to find some stuff that sort of runs the whole gamut, I think of moods that I, I would find myself in, I think. Um, so I'm just going to read, I, th- these aren't in any particular order. Um, but you know, if I'm on a desert Island, I'm probably going to find myself being a little bit sad every once in a while. Um, and my go-to for sad is Elliot Smith. So, uh, if I had, and you know, it's another one of those things you can't really pick a favorite. Uh, I certainly can't, but I would probably go with either or by Elliot Smith. Um, it just, it does things to me, man. It's so good. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things like when you're feeling sad, it's, it actually helps to listen to sad music. Um, so after that, um, oh, this is another, uh, thing I'd, forgot to mention before uh, another thing that, that got me honestly the one of the reasons why i'm playing piano now is uh ben folds um one of my friends in in high school um put on a ben folds record you know i'd heard brick you know brick was this popular song uh which was fine and i heard uh on the car ride one of my friends put on uh whatever and ever amen and i was just like what is this um i'd never really heard anybody play piano like that and, and use it in that way um so with that bit of nostalgia and sort of you know me being here a lot really because of ben uh it's i'd have to say whatever and ever amen it's close close between that and naked baby photos actually and and a lot of other stuff his 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 discography is yeah. great especially when he went solo so maybe maybe even rock in the suburbs I don't know. It'd be one of those things I'd have the three and I'd just, I'd have to pick it on the day that I was going to the island. <laughs> um, so after that, um, 
just for sheer production genius and songwriting. Uh, a Wizard, a True Star, Todd Rundgren. Um, I mean, you guys have heard yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Todd's just yeah, a force it, of nature. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, first time I'd, I'd listened to that in headphones, I just, yeah, blew me away. Um, what are we at? Number are we at four? One, two, three. Uh, four. Uh, Waiting for Columbus by Little Feet. It just offers so much. Uh, the Tower Power horn sections fill all of the guys. It's just a killer, killer recording. Um, and then, you know, you got to have a Zappa record. And again, I, I wouldn't be able to pick top five for Zappa, but. Uh, I wrote down Joe's Garage because yeah, I think you got yeah, iconic album. Yeah, great picks, Chris, and I think you've covered the gamut. As you said, it covers a range of moods and and genres. Yeah, brilliant picks. Thank you. Uh, and it's amazing how many of our listeners. Can yeah, I, go, can, go. All right. Can I can I give you can I give you my my yeah, up? Yeah, go. All right. Just gotta say them. Uh, a lot of people might not have heard this one, and it's great. Uh, Toy Matinee by Toy Matinee. It's an album uh, that um, I can't remember what the guy's name that produced it, Leon, Leo, um, but it was uh, Kevin Gilbert. You guys have ever heard of Kevin Gilbert? Um, he uh, he was around in the 90s, uh, lived in Los Angeles, and just a, a ridiculous talent. The guy had an amazing voice and a great musician, uh, playing, he played keyboards and bass, and just a brilliant knack for songwriting. Um, died way too young, uh, but he worked on this uh, this project in the early '90s called Toy Matinee, and it's it's just great. Um, after that, I would have to go with. Uh, I had a hard time even not mentioning a soundtrack because even as of late, that's really been mostly what's on my palate. Um, but there's a game out called Undertale, um, and the soundtrack for it is just incredible. It's unexpected, just like the game. Um, but there's some really brilliant melodic content in there uh, and reused and re, um, reorchestrated uh, in really, really brilliant ways. Um, one other little thing about that is the, uh, the guy who composed it, Toby Fox, um, also he and one other person wrote this. They, they created the whole game. Um, and the game is beautiful and brilliant. That's good. And I think you're the first one to pick a game soundtrack. So oh. I love it. I'm a bit of a gamer myself, Chris. So yeah, love that. That's great. Um, thank you. And then we've got our final, final, final question, the, the quick fire 10. So what we'll do, Chris, is we'll just fire 10 questions at you, uh, Paul and I in sequence, and just as short and sharp as you can uh, provide an answer. So Paul, over to you. All right, I will start. Stereo or mono? Stereo. Sitting or standing? Standing. Are guitars sexy or an abomination? Abomination. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say unless you're George Duke, but I mean, he's great. He's great. But yeah, there are exceptions, but would tend to agree with you. Um, tr tr transpose yeah. button or adjust on the fly? on the gigs that i've been on you got i mean you don't have any other options uh yeah i mean my heart says tr transpose on the fly 
but you got to have context. That's I'll, I'll say transposal. Cool, cool. Uh, X stand or no? No stands. I hate stands. Uh, X stands. There you go. Uh, last gig you attended as an they're awful. Uh, last gig you attended as an audience member. Oh, what did I? Just, um, Colin Hay. Oh, well, that's a, that's Colin a hell of a good one. Were you doing your research for the move to Australia or? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, no, uh, uh, no, I wasn't. He was, he just came. I think I said he's based player, in the US. So, yeah, solo and he's, he's, yeah, he's stunning. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. My, my good friend plays uh, saxophone go. with him. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolute oh, so, icon. Yeah. But he came through solo. Really one of the best shows I've ever seen. Amazing. Well, mentioning Colin Hay, you just got bonus points with, with me and David anyway. So well done. <laughs> Great job. Uh, best thing about live gigs as a player? Uh, connecting with people, audience and uh, musicians. And well. worst thing about live gigs? Connecting with people. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, worst thing about live gigs? I know it's supposed to be fast. Um, technical disasters. Cool. Name one thing that you would like to see invented that would make your life easier as a keyboard player. Good keyboard, Stan. Yeah, nice. Stan's <laughs> come up quite regularly, that question. I think we've all got some sort of responsibility to develop something. Um, and then last one, I think I know the answer to, Chris. Red keyboards, yes or no? Red keyboards, yes. Thank you, Chris. I, I know it's a bit of a superficial way to finish off, but I mean, you've had an amazing career with what I imagine are many more decades of, of um, substance to come. So I really appreciate you taking the time, particularly a few days out of uh, moving countries. Can't thank you enough. And, um, you know, hopefully we may run into you, you know, there's only what, there's only 14 people in Australia, isn't there, Paul? So we'll probably run into Chris. Well, uh, the, our listeners don't know this, but Chris is actually moving to my hometown and um, it, it's it's not the biggest place. So I, I did tell Chris prior to this interview that I'd be dropping around his, his joint to borrow a cup of sugar. So I'd be very, very afraid, mate. <laughs> you're, well, you're welcome to come over anytime. <laughs> so no, thank you, Chris. And um, yeah, we, we, look, we look forward to seeing what's um, to come. Really appreciate it. Well, what a gem Chris was doing that, you know, a handful of hours before flying down to Australia. That was good, Paul. Yeah, what a, what a great guy. And, and I don't know about you, David, and I, and I don't know about our, our listeners and, and our viewers, but Chris is uh, you know, a little bit younger than, than you and me, and you could say significantly younger than you and me. And, and I couldn't help thinking while he was telling us uh, all, all the amazing projects that he's done and what he's working on, what have I been doing with my life? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a massive underachiever now. Yep. Yeah, I would feel definitely the same. So yeah, no, thank, a huge thanks to Chris for joining us. Um, yeah, it's really appreciated. Um, uh, so yeah, we're, I just wanted to give a quick shout out as always to our gold and silver supporters. So we've got the core crane music group on Facebook, uh, Greg and the team there. Thank you. Brother Paul Brown from the water boys. I've seen, uh, Brother Paul's a great Instagrammer and I've seen some wonderful photos of him uh, touring uh, with the water buys at the moment in the UK. Um, sounds like they're getting, actually they play Glastonbury, Paul. So they're not Ooh, doing too shabbily. No, they're going um, all right. They're, they're going, going all right. right. Um, and Tammy Catcher of Tammy's Musical Stew. Huge thank you as always to Tammy for all her support. 
uh, and it, and then the musicplayer.com forums as well. Thanks to Dave Bryce and the team there. We really do appreciate all of your support. So we'll be back again in a fortnight or so, but just a reminder, you can keep in touch via a few means. Our website is www.keyboardchronicles.com, uh, Facebook at The Keyboard Chronicles, and on Twitter at The Keyboard CHR1. And we are on Instagram. And for the life of me, I can't remember what the URL is at the moment, but uh, if you search The <laughs> Keyboard Chronicles. Um, and as we were just saying to Chris, that's how we found Chris as a guest that we would um, love to have talked to. So we're really pleased to do that via Instagram. Uh, and we do have good old fashioned email at editor at keyboardchronicles.com. And finally, we do have a Patreon account. Again, a huge thank you to the supporters we've just shouted out above uh, and others who do support us um, at varying levels on Patreon. Um, so you can check us out there at patreon.com forward slash keyboard chronicles. And we do do regular extra content there. Paul, thank you as always. Couldn't do it without you. Uh, once again, it's been a pleasure to be in your orbit. <laughs> oh, that, well, that's it's the, the Star Wars t-shirt. That was very clever, Paul. Like, you know, huge, huge kudos there. Um, most importantly, oh, thanks. I'm not clever often. It wasn't intentional. You're unintentionally clever. Most <laughs> importantly, thanks to you all for listening and hope to see you back here again next episode.